It's the second cup of Joe and John with Joe Elvis and John Dwyer. Joe, got a question for you. Could you Shoot. could you buy the home you live in that you've lived in, I think since 1999, 2000? Could you buy that home today? I'll preface it for our Nashville listeners. I live in Brentwood, Tennessee. So no. <laughs> uh, snooty, tw- snooty, snooty. No, no. 20 years ago, it wasn't. It just was a great, it's a Williamson County for non-Nashvillians. Williamson County is just a great run county. They manage their systems well. Their schools are the best. Public schools. I was a public school kid in Delaware. And uh, I lived in West Nashville and Hillwood where the schools suck in the public school system. And most people go to um, private schools, which are 10 to, fi- acronyms. 10 to yeah. 15 grand for first grade, you know, to have your kids sleep half the day. And so my <laughs> wife and I made the decision to move to Brentwood and, um, you know, Almost Cold a sack. It's it's nice. It's gorgeous. Uh, Good ranch uh, home. We, we call it historic Brentwood, a house built in 1978, ranch house and such. But uh, you know, it's location, location, location. We just found a house we liked, but because of the school system and because of how the politics and how it's run, the county, it is a hotbed of success. Of the schools are great. It's a safe community. I would dare you to come in and fool with the Brentwood PD. You will be squashed instantly. It's just run the way things should be run. Yeah, and, I could um, not afford. I live in East Nashville. I could not uh, actually own two homes. One is our workhouse now with Lindley running an interior design firm. And uh, I run a nonprofit that helps kids graduate and get them college career ready because kids generally are not employable. But that's a that's it's not about me. Uh, I always make it about me. No, it's not. <laughs> do I do that? But no, you, my point is you can, I couldn't, Lindley and I could no longer buy the home that we moved in in 2018 and this other one in 2008, which is a good thing because, uh, you know, but it, it's just crazy. Uh, our, you're in 37206, which is one of the hotbeds of growing Nashville now as it starts to move north to Inglewood and Madison. It started in the base of East Nashville. Uh, I lo- you're a freaking real estate giant now with your old house, your new house, and we call it a workhouse, which is where our show originated out of your closet. Yeah. And it's a terrific setup. <laughs> it is a good setup. I, in fact, we are. I lived downtown before it was cool, uh, early aughts, as they would say, and they kicked me out to East Nashville. And now I'm not sure I'm cool enough to be in East Nashville. You but, blew that deal. Huh? You're I, down, you were downtown I was before downtown. downtown was happening. You know what? I, I did been there done that every time my wife and I go down there and you know you're gridlocked and you got the the petri dish um uh, tractor trailer with the hot tub on it and I've just like been there we were actually did the pedal tavern the very first month pedal taverns happened um we did it as a halloween thing and so everybody dressed up and I mean that was it's and I'm embarrassed it's it's so stupid but if you haven't seen it in Nashville the pedal Pedal taverns are the bars in the middle. People sit around it on seats and pedal, which is now our uh, wedding. What's the girls called? When the, the, the girls the come to town. girls. Woo-ha. The girls because come to woo. town for the wedding. Uh, yeah. It's just girls weekend. I can't even think yeah. of the name of that. But uh, uh, Bachelorette. The Bachelorette party is a number one stop in Nashville. But uh, on your old downtown place, I remember you vividly saying, I want to sell it. And no one in hell is even interested in it. Want to no, buy it? Took a bath. Took you lower the did. price, and now oh I my look at gosh! It now, but anyway, oh, well, oh this is, this feeds well into our guest because he's super interesting, super bright, and knows this market like none other. So let's go to it. 
no people. Let's take a spin through Joe and John's Rolodex. Stops on M, Bruce McNeilage, who is a uh, the co-founder of Kinlock Partners and Kinlock Homes, a real estate investment company, single family home builder located in, well, Kennesaw, Georgia, but also uh, you live here, right, Bruce? Nashville. Nashville yeah. and Kennesaw. Yeah. Well, someday we'll we'll put your mic on. Are we, are we, are we good? <laughs> okay. Sorry about that. That's never happened. Justin. Just ask that question yeah, again. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. Uh, but hey, thank you for being here. Glad um, to be here. I, I know we met uh, a few years ago and, and had lunch, I believe, at, at Rose Pepper. Do you remember that? Absolutely. Yeah, that was a kind of a, 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 you know, that was kind of cool. He asked me and we talked about TV and, and, uh, and real estate. Um, explain what's going on. You know, you heard our, our mindless banter about not being able to afford where everybody, that's, you're at a dinner party in Nashville or, or with Joe and Brentwood and, and invariably, hey, well, where do you live? Oh, I do this. Oh, I can't live where I live now because we could never afford it. Oh, this thing has gotten just, did you see this coming? Nashville and, and, and Middle Tennessee just blowing up and not kind of being recession proof. So 16 years ago, I moved from Fort Lauderdale. Nashville was a sleepy town before you got sports teams and things, and things were cheap. Uh, things were on sale, and that's the way I looked at it because I looked at what things cost in Fort Lauderdale, and one of the reasons why I moved here is you could cash flow real estate. Real estate was cheap, and you really couldn't do that in South Florida, the hurricane insurance, the cost of taxes, things like that. And so, yeah, the town blew up, and one of the reasons why the town blew up is a great town, great people, centrally located, just a lot of wonderful things, education, but it, things were cheap. And things are not cheap anymore. <laughs> no, 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 they aren't. Um, but you have kind of taken this uh, this leadership role and 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 kind of run to the hill, up the hill about affordable, or you like to call attainable housing. Uh, I know in East Nashville, you had some projects there. Um, but you're, you're, you're proud of, you should be proud of that. And it is such an issue. You got four servers working in hospitality downtown, having to share a two bedroom apartment in Smyrna or something like that. I, it's just, you can't afford to live downtown, uh, and work downtown and, and live within 15 miles of the place. Right. Absolutely. So what, what talk about your strategy of being and building affordable housing and, and because we don't have enough of it fairly. Correct. So what do we do about it? So I've been a condo developer. I've owned multifamily residential throughout uh, Nashville and the surrounding areas. And I build houses. I sell houses. And we also rent houses. And so really we run the gamut of housing uh, all over the Nashville area and Georgia and South Carolina. And, yeah, we're 30,000 doors short of what we need right now. And, you know, there's so many people moving to Nashville that eventually people are going to move out of Nashville. You mentioned uh, people not being able to afford housing. You know, if you go to college and you're college educated and you're a teacher or a nurse or you're a first responder, things are broken. If, if you can't find housing and you're making 50, 60, $70,000 a year a nurse, there's things that are broken. And to drive 45 minutes outside the urban core before you can find housing, that makes it tough because, you know, when you're paying for gasoline just to commute to work, uh, you might as well pay more in, in rent. So Nashville's got some challenges. We've got a lot of people moving here from California and other places. And as people move from California, Florida, uh, it, it makes things even tougher because those things are coming, those people are coming from areas where things are cheap when 
they get here. And when you have $2,500 a month on average for a one-bedroom apartment in Nashville, it makes it very, very difficult. So we're starting to price people out of the market. They're going to have to move to cities where they can afford to live in the market. Because at the end of the day, you know, two nurses or, or three uh, firefighters, uh, you know, a couple teachers, that's not the American dream. That That's not why you go to school. That's not why you work hard. If you can't afford a house or a condo or whatnot, uh, the, the thing's broken. What could you define, it sounds obvious, affordable housing uh, in our city? As you said, the workers that work downtown, no one can afford to live. So you purposely build something that's within a price range in high value real estate area? So one of the things I'm known for is a development called Solo East, which is in East Nashville. Love right it, by the way. Yeah, right yeah. off of Gallatin Road. <clears throat> I bought, uh, with my partner, an out-of-favor, just beat-up uh, apartment complex called, uh, what was it called, Lytton? The old, the old Lytton Apartments. Is oh, my Lytton High School. Yeah, yeah, right. And so it was beat-up. It was half uh, empty. Uh, the other half was FEMA victims from New Orleans. And when FEMA stopped paying, it was basically 100% empty. There was no revenue coming in. I bought it from the bank. And what we did there was clean up that apartment complex, make it really probably the most affordable complex in East Nashville. And by doing that, I started kind of, um, I, I guess, to help turn around the neighborhood because, you know, we were really one of the first folks off of Gallatin Road. And I told some newspapers, if I'm successful, it'll spread all the way down Trinity. It'll go over to, to Dickerson. And now look, Trinity all the way to the interstate is booming. You've got five, 600,000 Arcondos, you know, off of Lytton uh, in East Nashville, South Inglewood, you could easily spend six or $700,000 on a house. And so we were successful. Now, along with success, it makes other things, you know, less affordable as well. But out in front of the complex, my partners and I did Solo East. It's, um, it's 121 units. We got it uh, zoned for condos. Nobody would lend me money. The 16th bank said yes. I had 15 banks that say, said no to me. I, I carried around the plans uh, to where any anywhere I went, and I'd show people, and they'd laugh at me. And they'd always say, hey, we'll loan you money for an apartment complex. Well, I already owned one. I had 162 units right behind it. And I'm like, I want to do something that helps people afford the American dream. I want to do something that, that will help people establish roots in Nashville and keep them here. And so we sold those units pre-sale at our, our, our sales event, the first two hours, we sold 32 units in two hours. Channel 5 put it on live TV on the news. Uh, and then we had to rent out the upper veranda at Nissan Stadium. We got so many people. So it was actually 34 units in two hours. And, and here's what made it unusual. We started selling units five or six years ago at $149,000 up to $199,000. And so you could have bought any unit in the complex for under $200,000. And at the time I did it, I was probably the least expensive by seventy-five dollars to $100,000. People said the guy's never going to do it. You know, he's smoking something, whatever it is. But <laughs> I... Uh, drug testing. Yeah, I you will be drug tested. Well, I understood how money works. And I understood if I could bring it there, I would develop a reputation. And hopefully that would be infectious and would help other people do things. And so we did it. 
We sold it out quickly. We didn't raise uh, prices egregiously. We tried to keep everything affordable. And so 121 people own the American dream now. My sweat, my partner's sweat, uh, I'm not going to say it was genius, but we have the knack. I have the knack to see things and maybe see things where things are going to be uh, good in two or good in three years, like Jefferson Street 15 years ago or Dickerson. Dickerson is now the Gallatin if you will. There's four or $500,000 houses and, and, and bars and restaurants going in at Dickerson. And I don't have to tell you what went on Dickerson 15 years oh, ago. Yeah, it, it wasn't pretty. I moved here in 1978 and Dickerson Road and even deep parts of Gallatin Road, all the places that Bruce has named where people were where people used to go buy weed or a shot was going to happen or something was going to get robbed. It's a terrible part of town. And now uh, you've got... Uh, Nashville's really gone young, Bruce, and maybe you can comment on that. A lot of young folks coming into downtown. Yeah, there there are. And when I lived in Fort Lauderdale after college, uh, when I was 24. Oh, uh, the stories you could probably tell. <laughs> Holy smokeroonies. Well, uh, I was married. Fort so Lickerdale. I had, I had less stories we than it. most people. But <laughs> I was very blessed, and I saved enough money. Uh, and 24, I bought a house on a canal with a pool. So, you know, I really did well on the American dream at 24. Holy the problem man. is people don't have that dream anymore. The millennials maybe are 30 or 35 until they're establishing uh, roots, getting married or having children. And one of the reasons why they're doing that is it's not the dream anymore because the dream for most people is out of reach. Now they might be driving a BMW, but the problem with people in society, a lot of these people in their twenties or thirties, they have student loan debt. And so you already have a mortgage payment of $1,000, $1,200 paying off student loan debt. So how are you going to afford a place that's $1,500 or $2,000 with a mortgage payment? And so it's gotten very tough for people to own houses. They're certainly not buying houses at 24 like I did. And also the American dream is something different. It used to be that you work for the same corporation for 30 years. You got a gold watch. Uh, you got a pension for the rest of your life. And you sold your house. You were free and clear and you moved to Florida. That's dead. It's not that it's dying. It's dead. It will never come back. And so they say most people, their biggest assets they ever own is their single family house. Well, when you don't own it, what's your what's your only asset? Yeah. You know, you got a 401k, your, your right? Your leased car. Well, yeah. <laughs> or, or you've got a 401k right now and it's become a 301k. Yeah. You know, that's not yeah. good. And so if you don't own a house and pay it off, how can you retire? And that's what I have a, a fear for, for people in Nashville, hottest city in America, wonderful city. And I, I've lived in, you know, on the beach in Fort Lauderdale. I've been in some nice places, but if it's so popular that everybody's priced out of housing, well, where do you live? And so I see people where we've gone to Greenville, South Carolina, some of these other areas in Greenville, you can get a five bedroom house, brand new house for under $300,000. And, and we're providing those for people, but sooner or later, people are going to realize that if housing cannot be attained and you're going to be a nurse or a firefighter or whatnot, those incomes can be replicated in most cities. So where do you go? You go to the affordable cities in, in, in good uh, climates and uh, South Carolina, there's parts of Georgia that become affordable. And that's going to really be, that's going to be the sad thing out of Nashville. If people can't afford to live and they've got to live an hour away, we're taking people out of the vibrancy, out of the urban core and people that really make up a city, you're, you're driving those people out. Common sense would tell you not to look to Joe and John for this, but time for life lessons from Joe and John. 
And along the uh, the lines of life lessons, something that uh, you talk about a lesson of of just bringing something back that uh, who knew that this place in Murray County was going to be one thing decades ago and another thing. Uh, it's a beautiful story, and, and I love you. You told us a little bit, and just when we told you, Bruce, save it, <laughs> because this is good stuff. Uh, what did you do, do in Murray County? So, again, I was driving through downtown, stumbled upon a out-of-favor, boarded-up uh, school, and it had uh, just, just carved in the front of the school Carver Smith. And I looked into it, and in the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, if you were African American in all of Murray County, that's where you had to go to school. So there was a a large building that was the high school, and then there were two smaller buildings, which were the elementary and middle school. And again, I had a vision four blocks off the courthouse square, pretty good proximity. And by the way, the neighborhood's booming right now in downtown. Columbia's booming right now. I was, I hope and, and feel kind of the genesis of that, like I was in East Nashville, because I took this old school and now it's 61 beautiful apartments and a lot of the people uh, went to school a lot of people grew up within four five six blocks of the school and they actually live in the classrooms that they attended school in and, and when I owned it I think I sold it a few years ago rents were between 375 and 575 uh, people you know were very very modest means many of them on welfare but we made the apartments affordable so even people that had those economic challenges could afford uh, an apartment uh, four blocks off the square in downtown Columbia. so so they're going to they're going back to high school and they're like hey hey son let me show you let me show you the corner I was sent to when when, when I snapped back at the teacher or this is where I made out with my first girlfriend or whatever I don't know but it is what? neat that you did did something oh, I'm sorry <laughs> Didn't mean to go down that road. Bruce, uh, Kinlock Partners, um, all these various locations of South Carolina, you're from Florida. Did that come together here in Nashville? You know, Mari spelled M-A-U-R-Y, but everybody calls it Murray County. Um, how did how did how did you even get down? Columbia is a is pretty much almost what forty five minutes south of Nashville, uh, tons of farmland. But now is the ex- expanding part between Columbia, Spring Hill, South Nashville, where you can start to grow. Yeah, I started my business in two thousand five when I moved to Nashville, and I moved to Spring Hill and started our business in Spring Hill, primarily building and acquiring houses for the purpose of. Uh, of renting them out to people. And we had four bedroom houses that were renting for $1,250 a month. Those were in Williamson County because Spring Hill is made up of Williamson and Murray County. I've recently just gone into Murray County with houses because Murray used to have the schools that weren't that good. Everybody wanted to live in Williamson County. Williamson County, you just can't afford anymore. Uh, if you have a little house in Williamson County in Spring Hill, it's worth five or $600,000. It would rent for at least $3,000. So again, people have moved south to uh, afford the house. But we started off in 2005. In 2010, my partner and I got together. We were actually at a Chicago Cubs game, first time I've ever been at a game. We had uh, invitations and were being entertained by a company where we were on one of those rooftop decks. Oh, nice. The game got rained out. We never got to see the game. They offered us tickets on Monday morning, whatever. Of course, we were going back to where we lived. But he asked me how my business worked, the, the rental business. And just like Herb Kelleher from Southwest Airlines, who I'm a big fan of, I took out a cocktail napkin and I drew a triangle. 
And I basically said, buy or build, rent, and then sell. And he said, literally, how does the business work? And I said, brother, uh, if it was more uh, technical, yeah, I wouldn't be here. And he said, well, you know, I want to be like you. I want to get involved in this. I said, you know, there's a couple of things I have to say like that. First of all, don't set your sights so low. You can do better than being like me. And the other thing I said is, hey, listen, that's asking a lot. You know, nobody's as good as me. And we were joking. And I got on the airplane on the way home. And I said, you know, he wants to be in business. I've known him, gosh, almost 50 years. Sent him an email the next morning, and he FedExed me a check for $250,000, and we were off to the races in Atlanta. In Atlanta, you know, Atlanta just imploded. Uh, um, Tennessee, Nashville might have gone 10 or down, 10, 15%, not a big deal. Where we were buying houses in Atlanta, south of the airport, southeast of the airport, we were buying brand new four-bedroom houses for $38,000. Holy cow. Wow. And, you know, they might have had the air conditioner stolen or the appliances so we're buying those houses with the idea of I'm going to build up a rental pool like I did in uh, Middle Tennessee, cash flow it, and just keep them. Within, I'd say, six to nine months, all the hedge funds, the REITs, started calling us, wanting to buy our houses, and we started selling them. And we were breaking our uh, hands, our arms, uh, patting ourselves on the back because we were selling them for $79,000. Well, they had gone for one seventy-five to two twenty-five a few years before uh, Atlanta imploded. But to give you an idea on how bad it was, we were buying lots for $2,000 each. In neighborhoods, pools, and houses, we were buying lots for $2,000. Those lots probably nowadays go for $50,000. So we helped rehab uh, some areas, primarily minority areas of Atlanta, and we still own those houses today. We've sold some. But you were able to rent a brand-new four-bedroom house. In neighborhoods, you might have lost a house uh, a mile or two down the way. You were able to rent those for $1,250. We were 100% full. And so we really felt that we did something uh, of value and for the my, my, uh, minority community. And that's where Kinlock Partners started. It started in Atlanta, Georgia. So forward to, uh, if you're hearing this, you're living it, uh, interest rates climbing, climbing, climbing. So for all the great stuff, you were in booming markets and all those things that you're talking about now. Uh, housing is the number one story on the, the news that's starting to flatten out or what I'm sure you have a word for it, correct itself or adjust. Reset. Uh, They're calling reset. it reset. There's it's a, a reset. reset. Okay. The great reset. So <laughs> it's the great reset. What, what happens in a market? like now where folks can't afford even those nicer houses that you're building and such. So the entry level person was having a tough time affordable housing a year, two years, three years ago with a modest income, 50, 60, 70,000 a year. They couldn't afford housing. Well, now it's a double whammy. You can't afford the housing plus your interest rates higher. And so now it's four or five, six hundred dollars more a month. So that even drives people out of owning a house even more. The problem is in Nashville and a lot of other places, you can easily spend uh, $2,500 for a one or two bedroom apartment. So you might have a $2,500 payment. One is you don't have to bring money to the table to buy the house and you don't have the expenses of owning it. The other thing is you're living in 800 square feet uh, and paying $2,500 a month. So whether you own it, which is very, very difficult right now, and also trapped in your house. I'm trapped in my house because I'd have to get somebody to buy it. It's gone down in value. And then my mortgage is, I think, three and a quarter percent. Well, now it's seven, seven and a half percent. So I can't uh, buy a house uh, because it's gone up too much in value. Even though it's come down in value, it's gone up too much in value. And somebody would have to buy my house. 
they'd have to get a mortgage. That's not happening. And so buying and selling are not happening anywhere near the rate they were. And interest rates, when you're at two and a half, three, four percent, you can't go up to seven or eight percent. Your your payment is significantly higher. Now, of course, people say, oh, in, in a year things will get back better, and you can just refinance. Well, that works until it doesn't. Sure. Right. And I wouldn't bet on the come that things are gonna go down by three or four percent, because usually they go up quick and they come down at a very slow pace, like gasoline, right? And so I don't anticipate it getting better for, I don't know, a year, year and a half. And unfortunately, again, that makes affordable housing uh, or uh, less and less and less uh, valuable. Um, not valuable, but it, it, it makes it harder to attain. And again, we may start losing people to other cities because of that. Rapid, 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 Random fire questions, uh, Bruce. These are just whatever comes off the top of your head, and and don't feel like we have to be random, so, affordable. Uh, or, affordable, or affordable, <laughs> or attainable. I just say we try to we pride ourselves on being you know uplifting and 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 motivating and all this, and and uh, I just know us three in the room. Maybe Justin, Justin, do you own a home? No, you're, you're not going to anytime soon, man. I'm, I'm I'm sorry, but we're not moving anytime soon. Well, that's a lifting moment yeah. from you. Yeah, I'm a day brightener right there. Justin, our 24-year-old Yeah, other than that, life's good. House. Yeah, never in your lifetime, I okay? I my house, Justin. You're, gonna, you're just going to live at the Y. Anyway, what, uh, where do you go? What do you got, Joe? So, uh, Bruce, you've been around enough. You've seen the city grow enough. I can't even tell you where some of these new restaurants are in town that people said, have you eaten here? And I've been here for 30-plus years. I don't even know where that is. What's one of your favorite spots to go eat downtown Nashville? Martin's Barbecue. <laughs> yeah. I've been all over the oh, South. I've been through uh, St. <laughs> Louis. There yeah. is nothing like Martin's Barbecue. What's that? I think that, what's that on Charlotte and downtown on Broad? Uh, I is? know it's on Broad. It's also, the first one was in Nolansville. Okay. There's one uh, oh, on Spring one Hill. Here. There's one on uh, Belmont. And, and Mount Juliet, yes. Yeah. Over right, right, Belmont. Uh, yeah. right next to Edley's. And uh, there's also one in Mount Juliet. Terrific. Wonderful barbecue. It is. And, and that's what I can afford because, again, housing's so expensive. <laughs> but <laughs> I would say, I mean, I mean, I can honestly tell you if you ever want to find me, if I'm out for dinner, I'm at Kane Prime, table 18. Oh, okay. Table 18. And I don't eat at any other table other than table 18. Now, the reason why is because that's the only restaurant I go to, right? So I've become special to them because I'm a regular. But uh, that's where I go out if I go out to dinner. John and I went there one time with our, with our wives. So Kane Prime is, I, I'm on my, maybe I'll say this wrong, the steamed steaks, or it comes in a Wagyu. Wagyu. The Wagyu, yeah, they, they, okay. they were that. Yeah, it's all part of that M Street uh, district. Right? Cotton candy bacon. Yeah, it's yeah. Great. Cotton on the candy bacon. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, that's on the uh, uh, cream corn, I, I believe, or something like that. Uh, all, I know, that all I know is people that come out uh, of town to visit me yeah. want to see if they can take it back in a um, <laughs> in a uh, in a styrofoam <laughs> cooler with dry ice, and they don't offer that. You know, again, no, you they fold don't. in. The, Kane Prime is the place to go. When I first moved here, there was one steakhouse, uh, Roos Chris, and yep. then Fleming opened up. Yep. I want to say we have 10 high-end steakhouses, and that's also, uh, it shows that the town has become affluent, right? Yeah. And it shows that it's grown. And so, yeah, I mean, if, if, if I find a favorite restaurant, uh, 
<laughs> it's going to be Kane Prime or Martins. I well, like next time table. we take the wives to Kane, it's table 18. I'm going to ask for 18 no, just, to, just to see just to see if they'll do it. <laughs> and, well, I guess Bruce is going to be at our dinner. If you say Bruce said you can sit here. Bruce is picking up our dinner tonight, and we want table 18. What's in your CD or what's on your Apple pod list or playlist or whatever what, what what are you digging what 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 would i find in your I, CD? I don't have apple i mean i hate to say it i listen to country music and i like a lot of southern rock and roll i use youtube and i just kind of enter in things and youtube keeps the music i like now i have to put up with the ads because i probably don't pay ten dollars for something but i'm really not a technical guy uh i would say leonard skinner detroit rock and roll or nice. country music and i like the old country music last night you know the bubblegum stuff you know that's fine but you know tennis shoes and the flashy stuff and whatnot is country music it was great to see alan jackson patty loveless there were actually hats there were cowboy hats at the country music awards what that was exciting. That was. Yeah, the CMAs, as we record this, was last night. And I just realized I used to do the post show for that on, on Channel 2 is the highest rated night because they uh, they get off at 10, a, uh, 10 p.m. They can't run over. Um, and it's the highest rated. And I knew I could ask three questions of a Taylor Swift or of a little big town or I couldn't ask four. OK, I did not know. And I didn't even know it was last night. That's how that that's it. Uh, that, that, you're out of it, John. I am so out so of, out of so it. My out of son was watching it, loved every second of it. And, yeah, of course. Well, uh, that's thought, the difference. That's I totally agree with Bruce. Uh, Alan Jackson really centered it back to kind of old school country. And I think Luke McCombs won Entertainer of the Year. And one of his comments was, the country is coming back to country music. It, so it I, needs I, to. I think there's a vibe and a management in the 10,000 foot level. To there's say, a correction. There's a reset. We, there's a reset <laughs> that they got way too askewed. Uh, to where it was pop music, uh, but bubble that's, gum. that's probably bubble a whole bubblegum. That's probably a whole nother show. Bruce, a uh, lot of volatile moves in your industry and stuff. What's what's one maybe perhaps one of your biggest failures, but something that you really learned from? Well, my biggest failure is not buying River Chase apartments across <laughs> from the stadium. And everybody's talking now about River Chase apartments, and it's on twelve acres uh, land with an unobstructed view of the city. I had it under contract. I don't know. There's like three hundred units. I had it under contract for three point seven million dollars. It probably is worth. 15 or was torn down. Uh, I didn't buy it because there were swamp rats and cockroaches and people had buckets uh, because water was raining in on them because of the uh, uh, of the bad roofs. And I, I, I just couldn't morally buy it because I would have been on TV or thrown in jail or whatnot for being a slumlord. And that's been my biggest failure. Uh, but sometimes your biggest failure is your greatest success because it's not the deals you do, it's the deals you don't do. And so a place like that could have taken me down because I would have had to put so much money in the place. And you don't know how much money you have to put in a place till you peel back the walls, till you take the roof off. You get mold or you get uh, dry rot or whatnot, all of a sudden you're putting another million dollars into a place that you don't have. And so I'd say River Chase Apartments. What Can you comment quick on that? Uh, we're getting the new Titan Stadium, and all the plans are coming out. Uh, is, is Steiner Lift, are they getting rid of that? We've got a, a huge uh, junkyard right next to beautiful, I mean, talk about prime real estate. Do you know anything about what's going to happen down there with things getting built? I, I don't. I hear things. I'd hate to. He knows. Know, I'd hate to know the environmental. Like if I bought the place. It, you know? You'd glow, oh, right? Geez. Oh, yeah. You dig and, up. You'd... And you have to do remediation, serious remediation. Yeah. I wouldn't be able to afford their remediation. But, you know, I know the mayor's 
the city council, that, that is a, a prime property. I think Carl Icahn or, or someone's a big company, a, a big corporate raider or corporate institutional uh, folks own that, and uh, it's an eyesore. But again, 40 years ago, who cared? Right. right. But how do you get rid of it? I don't know the answer. And the environmental and what's underneath there could preclude people from doing what they want with it. And you have to have a lot of money to buy something like that and to see a vision. And it's going to cost you more than what you plan because, again, you just don't know what, what, you, uh, what you have until you peel back the onion. I, I like sometimes the, the best call is the no call, right? 100%. Just, that, that was a no call. Um, if you could invite anybody to dinner. Um, other than dead or alive, other than Bobby Bowden, <laughs> your big FSU supporter and grad and so forth. I, I know you, you bleed garnet and gold. Uh, who would you have? Elvis Presley or Leanne Walmack? <laughs> what? Here's one over here. What? Here's one over there. And you, we'll got a, start, you got a crush on Leanne? We'll start with Leanne Walmack. Yeah, let me tell you. Yeah, well, we get all, the Elvis intrigue. First I mean, of all, no offense. The, uh, I know the gentleman's married to her, so okay. he, he hit the jackpot. But we're the same age. She probably looks 20 years younger than me. But if there's, <laughs> other than my wife, if there's a finer looking woman than Leanne Walmack, I've never seen him. And she sings pretty darn nice. Too. Uh, she oh. has a classic country voice like a Patty Loveless. She's a true artist and phenomenal singer. Uh, you know, it, 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 the problem is when you get into your 50s, you're not marketable anymore, right? You, you're not going to get... You're, well, you're, you're telling us put that. Put it this way. You're I, talking I, to an ex-TV and yeah. ex-radio guy, and, and there's a reason why we're exes, okay? Well, and I'm in Begins with 50s. five and ends in nine. I'm in my 59. 50s, and yeah. I'm not marketable anymore. But Elvis uh, Presley uh, was the greatest entertainer in the world. They talk about Garth Brooks and some, some people. Elvis Presley, there wasn't a, a second. I would have loved to have met him. Uh, I think he died when I was like four, five or six. And uh, Leanne Womack. Nice. Bruce, what, uh, what's something you're reading? We like to ask folks, uh, last book they read, uh, do you read for fun or are you reading for the next deal or what? No, I, I don't read for fun. There's two books that changed my life that I read in college. One was How to Stand Up for Your Rights and Win. And it was actually written by a gentleman that was Donald Trump's attorney. He actually died of AIDS a few years after he wrote the book. But my mother's a trial lawyer, and she gave it to me. And it was basically how you can get screwed in any part of business from buying something to selling something. And it was, I guess it was a motivational book for me, but it basically taught me how not to get screwed. The other one was The Art of the Deal by Donald Trump. That gave me the vision uh, and that gave me the goals and the objectives and the dreams. And truthfully, I haven't read a lot of books since then. I'm not a fiction person. Uh, I read autobiographies uh, for 99 cents. I bought uh, Dave Thomas's autobiography uh, yeah. at, at Wendy's sure. for 99 cents. And uh, uh, I'm just not well read on books. I like reading newspapers and periodicals. I'm on LinkedIn hours a day reading things about my industry. Uh, I'm on Facebook. I love listening about Nashville interested in certain things, but uh, I'm not a fiction guy. I'm an autobiography guy. I like, I like real things, not, not things that are made up. What did you think about, I, Herb Keller is, uh, I work, I fly planes for a living now, so uh, the man is a total, complete genius for what he built at Southwest. I can remember at the old Nashville airport, there was this ugly colored orange plane sitting way away from all the gates, and it was a Southwest plane, and it was when they were just, you know, really starting to get into Nashville and such. And, man, if you had a seniority number back there, you're absolutely gold now, but... Uh, 
guys like that, you know, that have a vision, don't have a lot, but have a dream, hard work, they make it come true. That's the American way, right? Yeah. I mean, think about like it opened up Jacksonville, it opened up Fort Lauderdale, it certainly opened up Nashville. When you don't have a city serviced by a major airline, it's more expensive and it's tougher to get to. Herb Kelleher, it was phenomenal. And still to this day, uh, you may not know this, Wild Turkey 101 is what they serve on planes. Now, Delta's Woodford Reserve, some places are Jack Daniels. They serve Wild Turkey 101. Yeah. It's because that's what Herb drank and Herb cut a deal. And I think he said he'll come out of my grave if Southwest Airlines stops serving Wild Turkey 101. <laughs> and he was also the only person in America that was... Uh, uh, he wasn't licensed, but I think he felt licensed to smoke in the cockpit. Yep. Uh, I mean, he, no. he would have yeah. smoked in the cockpit. No. And, oh, yeah. he, he was drinking wild turkey and smoking in the cockpit until his last flight. Yeah. Oh, Herb please Keller. tell me he wasn't at the controls. And that's, that's all the way he led with his company. He probably knew everybody he worked, worked Loved for him. One. Legend. And um, it's such a great model that uh, I try to tell my sons who are, my oldest is in business school, he's 22, that uh, if you can just get down to straight management of knowing the people that work for you and motivating them, it's an old school trait that seems obvious, but nobody does it anymore. John, in, in, in life, we call that a throwback or old school, right? Old school. Yep. It's a tight end. I was a tight end school. It's a tight end that scores and hands the ball to the referee without dancing or prancing. Yep. Just old school. You hand it back to them. You pretend you've done it before. Act like you've been there. Exactly. That and, would and require, did, did you score? Not very often. <laughs> and I didn't block well. I had hands of stone. Other than that, I think you were feet of stone. You were good. Yeah, Other I than mean, you missed the All-American. You, know, you were on Bob Hope's show. You were so close to being on Bob Hope's uh, variety show. I mean, I was, the, I was six foot two team. when I was 13. I was, oh, was kind of skinny, right? But I still have a size 14 shoe. And by the way, you buy them whenever you see them, whether they're on sale or not. <laughs> I've got like 20 pairs of shoes in my closet because I get them on sale. And once in a while, I pull a pair off because you don't find those shoes every Everywhere. But uh, the answer to the question is I was a backup punter. Uh, we never used the backup punter and uh, sports. Uh, baseball I, I baseball was my sport. One. A backup punter? They don't. That's what I'm going <laughs> to accuse you of being, John, next time. You were probably backup a backup punter. Backup punter. <laughs> Joe and John have come to Good. the fork in the road. We have 20 more minutes. Whatever. Or less. Keep going. Sure. <laughs> Bruce, Bruce, yeah, Bruce, Bruce, we are rolling. He's like, yeah, he's like, how much longer do I? I'm just oh getting warmed God. up. Yeah, you're, you are. I mean, I'm opening. talking about myself. I could do this all day long. The opening, opening act. <laughs> Fork in the road for you, though. There's probably many, and you talked about the deal that, that you didn't get in, in, in the long term that was a good thing. Is there something in high school or even younger or, or during your college days that, you know, you seem to have a passion and a knack for this. I mean, you're, you, you, the, you're, you're in the Wall Street Journal. You're published there. You're on national networks. You're the go-to guy on on this subject. But uh, what would you be doing? What, what What's your fork in the road, Bruce? So I don't know about my fork in the road. I can tell you how I started. My dad owned a Christmas tree farm. And so I worked on that Christmas tree farm from 5 to 17. I was the guy that delivered newspapers at 9, 10, 11. I shoveled your snow. I cut your lawn. I raked your uh, lawn of leaves. Uh, and I was going to sell you something. I mean, there was books. I'd you know, buy candy. I'm going to sell you something. You could sell sleeves off of vest. Well, I mean, so, so I learned business at an early age. And I recently, recently saw John Morgan um, in an ad on Facebook. And he literally, I don't know why he was talking about this, but he said, paper boys are lions. He said, when he meets someone, if you were a paper boy, he said, he knows right there what type of person you are. You're a lion. 
and you're successful. Now, of course, there's no paper boys anymore. People don't no, even know what paper no. boys were. But I delivered papers in the three cities I grew up in outside Detroit. And you had to collect the money. And yes. had, I had a uh, radio flyer, Red Wagon. I went and picked up the papers. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, of course, you had to deliver them. And Sundays were tougher because they were thicker. They and were then it, ra- it rained. And you and had to fold them. Did you fold? I pulled, yeah, folded I folded them papers. And put them in my bag. Yeah, I could, trust me. In my neighborhood, you could get away with just get close. Uh, yeah, I, I, I did that. And if you are a baseball player, you yeah. could usually get it on. If That's you don't, you got to go get out of the bush or whatever. And if you hit the damn door and, you know, the lights go off or whatever, usually you don't get a tip. I remember it was $1.35 a week that I got paid to deliver the Detroit Free Press. I remember, and, we, and you had to collect, and we had a book, and I can just remember the little coupon you'd click yes, out and yes. you'd give it to them. But just think of us as A lot 12, of empty homes, right? A lot of knock, 13, knock, knock, nobody coming to the door. 13 walking around with money in our pockets. I mean, we would be in the number one hit. And, and, you know, yeah. people were respectable and stuff back then, but um, I didn't want to interrupt that story. No, that's what, that's I when love I love papers. That's when I became a ladies' man. At nine, I usually had 50 bucks in my pocket. So I was a. We're I was going a, to Godfathers. <laughs> <laughs> but you no, can get anything on the kids' it, menu. It, it's how I learned <laughs> business. And whether you're selling something or you're doing something, at the end of the day, I'm going to write a book one day, uh, and I tell people I'm nothing but a salesman. I, you, you might do have a book title. In you. There's no question. Well, I mean, you might see me as a developer. Uh, I had to sell 15 banks. Actually, I didn't sell. I sold the 16 one. Uh, but I sell vision of a bank loaning me money. Then I have to sell uh, condos to people, but there's nothing but dirt. I'm just standing there saying, someday this will be something. And you have to believe me, and I have to be believable. And so at the end of the day, I'm nothing but a salesperson. I've been very successful in selling. But at an early age, I learned how to be a salesperson. I don't think anybody is born to be a salesperson. I think you learn to be a salesperson and rejection uh, is a lot of times the greatest place or greatest way to become a salesperson because if you don't ask for the sale, you don't get rejected. A lot of people don't want to get rejected. My goal for most of my life was get rejected more than anybody else because that means I made more sales than anybody else. I follow you on social media. What's the what's the phrase you often shy use? Shy salesmen have skinny kids. Say it one more time. Shy salesmen have skinny kids. Now, if nice. I added to that, I'd say that cry a lot that need new pairs of shoes. <laughs> shy salesmen have skinny kids that cry a lot that need new pairs of shoes. <laughs> and hope and hope they don't have size 14 feet. So... Well, I, and I think, Bruce, a big part of your success is, uh, you know, you're very self-aware of your success and because you have to be in the directions that you're going, but the reasons that get you there are very ground-based, hard yeah. work, dedication, uh, a true spirit, and you put all those together and that gets your momentum going in a strong direction. I mean, I'm driving an 11 year old pickup truck today. I've got another one, maybe that's two years old, but I drive an 11 year old pickup truck. I was born and raised in Detroit in a relatively middle-class neighborhood. And the success really hasn't gotten to me because I don't need to drive a a nice car. I'd rather go buy a duplex, right? (laughs) If you showed me how to make money off a car, I'd have four of them. Uh, Bentleys. I know guys that drive Bentleys. Brother, I say to them, if you can show me how to make money by buying this Bentley, I'll, yeah. I'll buy a dozen of them. No. But I can't figure out how to do it. So, no. therefore, I drive an 11 year old pickup truck. You're smart. <laughs> you got to wear shades. So we conclude, we try to end on a day brightener. I know, I know this is going to be a struggle. <laughs> this is, I, when I looked at our producer, Justin, I, and I thought, should we even play this stinger? Because Bruce is like, I, you know, this is the real world. This is where we are right now with real estate investment and, and you know, mortgage rates going up and, and you know, everything going up. But, but please, for the, for the love of 
God, just give us something that, that we're going to get out of this or Nashville someday is going to, because you do forecast and, and that's part of your, your job is to know kind of two, three, four, 10 years ahead. What do we, what do we got? So Sir John Templeton, the founder of the Templeton Mutual Funds, uh, said many, many years ago, and I, I bought his book. It was a, a autobiography. He said, if you want to become a millionaire, the way you do is self, uh, you save 50% of your income. You save 50% of your income and you live a very modest lifestyle and you'll become a millionaire. The problem is, and again, I don't drive BMWs. I didn't have student loans. I was very blessed on that. But uh, if you save half your income, you live in a little lesser house. The reason I got the nice house when I was 24 is I was living in a one-bedroom apartment. Most of my friends were living in a two-bedroom apartment. And by the way, interest rates were complaining about interest rates. My first interest rate was nine and a quarter. So you are able to buy things. You have to be frugal. You have to be a good steward of money. And you just have to save, save, save. That's the way you're going to get things in life. That's the way you will be able to buy investment properties. And that's the way you will be able to afford a house in Nashville. It's not how much you make. It's how much you spend and how much you save. I mean, the, the book, The Millionaire Next Door by Thomas uh, Stanley, a professor at Georgia State, talks about millionaires. And he talks about postmen and mechanics and teachers. Again, it's not how much you make. You can make a million dollars. You can be a surgeon, whatnot. But if you're spending a million and a half dollars, right? And so the millionaire next door, it basically says drive an American car, basic American car. Don't do anything flashy. Don't go on expensive vacations. And basically be frugal with your money. And there's an old saying, um, there's, well, there's an old saying about your teeth, uh, be true to your teeth or they will be false to you. But as far as your money <laughs> goes, here, if, if you understand money is a tool and if you understand it can get you where, uh, pay for college so your kids don't have to borrow money, retire. If you are a good steward of money and you're frugal with your money, you'll be able to buy real estate, own things in life that maybe other people don't uh, own because they're not frugal with their money. All right, Joe, with scale of one to 10, how screwed are we? <laughs> well, I think... Um, I mean, all that is like, it would have been good to hear that 40 I, years ago. I, that's all get your butt down on the ground ball mentality. It's basics. Uh, but you can look at your Instagram, your Facebook, social networking. People want you to believe the life they portray. And that means it's over the top. Uh, Bruce commented on these kids don't have crap, but they're driving a BMW. And for Nashville, a lot of these downtown places are six, seven, eight hundred thousand dollars. And there's a 24, 25 year old in there. I don't know what job they have at that age where they can afford that. And we're all products of the 80s boom and bust. Uh, I don't, you know, I hope Nashville can sustain all these great big high rises that we're building high priced. Um, Will that, will people come into town and be able to afford that? I I think they will. Now, if they aren't and they go down 50% in value, I'm going to buy them up (laughs) and then I'm going to rent them. (laughs) (laughs) He's already got a strategic plan for this, don't you? I I hate for people to fail, but if they do, I'm I'm here for you. And I'm just, I'm I'm kidding. I hope they do. I think that's true though. That's what will happen. But with inflation, see, it's based on supply and demand. And when supply uh, crosses over and equals demand, you have equilibrium. And right now we don't have equilibrium. There's more demand than there is supply. Well, that's why little condos are worth 700,000 or tear down in East Nashville. You could, you know, half a million or whatnot. It's supply and demand. And the supply 
is not ever going to meet the demand. We're too good of a city. We're too hot of the city. People are moving here that we're 30,000 doors short in Nashville, uh, Spring Hill, Mount Juliet, all these other places. You can't find something for under half a million dollars. So will housing be affordable as long as there's a shortage that causes demand that can't be met? housing will continue to go up. And unfortunately, if you own a house like you do in Brentwood, congratulations, you are getting richer every By year. luck. Right. But, but, and you were frugal. You bought something probably you couldn't afford. I, I bought things in yeah. real estate I couldn't afford. But the good news is they went up in value. And traditionally, if you buy a home, you play by the rules and you pay down the mortgage over 10, 20 years, uh, things will happen and good things will happen. All right, let's end on this. Give me a guilty pleasure. What is something that you might splurge on? Besides a 14-size shoe. I, I, I would say, <laughs> I would say eating at table. Oh, yeah, yeah. Eating table at, 18. Eating at table, okay. eating at table 18 at Kane Prime and buying tickets to Leanne Womack concerts. <laughs> uh, you know what his dream date would be. No, I mean, what I splurge on, I buy uh, tickets to Florida State. I, I donate money, yep. a lot of it to Florida State. And I really... Um, I don't have any hobbies. I mean, I had a lake house. I visited it once or twice a couple of years ago. I was paying people to flush the toilets, and, and I just love work. And uh, I don't know if I have any guilty pleasures. I usually try to buy the smaller steak instead of the larger steak because it's cheaper. And uh, I like bourbon. Maybe bourbon is a guilty pleasure. And I, as I've become more fluent, when I was in college, it was Jim Beam. Then I graduated to Jack Daniels, which is not bourbon. It's Tennessee whiskey. Got to Maker's Mark. I'm now at Woodford. Yeah. I'm, I'm now at uh, Elijah Craig, whatever. I will never get to Pappy because, again, I'm too cheap. I'm too frugal. If sure. you buy enough Pappy, I could buy a duplex, right? <laughs> right. Uh, and, and the duplex is going to make me money. The Pappy is not. But at the end of the day, um, I just really don't have many hobbies, and I, I don't spend a lot of money. A good day for me is if I didn't spend any money. A bad day for me is if I did. But uh, again, making money, uh, helping people with housing, that's what I'm all about. And I've always been successful, not as successful as most as far as profit and whatnot. But my philosophy is if you're successful, if you help people, if you have vision, if you bring housing to maybe an area that's sketchy. And I, I've, I've, I've brought stuff where people say it's crazy, but then two, three, four years, people say, man, it, he was right. And so, yep. you know, a lot of hard work creates luck. And there has been luck, but, uh, you know, when luck meets opportunity, you work 60, 70 hours a week, you grind for 32, 33 years, you know, here you are, you're an overnight success. So all things that I think people should listen to a couple times on this podcast, great words of wisdom crammed in pretty quick. Luck but, is uh, the uh, residue of design. And I'll say this, uh, you know, I've lived here, uh, Joe and I just by happenstance ended up having careers in Nashville. I, I didn't grow up, you know, I often say you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans because this was not in the plans, but I met my wife. I'm happy or never and, and lucky to live in East Nashville. And, and Nashville is lucky to have you, Bruce, and, and because you're doing things, you're putting your neck out, you're building things, that, that, and you're taking risks. Borrowing uh, a lot of borrowing money. Borrowing a lot of money. Yeah. But, you're, but, but, man, you look at it, and you're, you know, somebody had to do the solo project, and, and you you made it happen, and you changed people's lives for the better to live the American dream. And, and you know, I just wish there were, you know, 500 of you in, in this city. So there aren't. 
there's not a lot of people standing behind me because A, it's not sexy, B, you don't want to borrow millions of dollars, and C, when you sell things for 199 or 299000 it's not as lucrative. You want the sexy stuff on the other side of the river, other side of the railroad tracks. I like doing things on the other side of the railroad tracks, and there's not a lot of people behind me. I wish there were because at some point in the future, I'm going to retire, and I hope, uh, I hope somebody emulates me, and I hope uh, one or two people pick up the flag and wave it when I retire because you know I'm not blowing my own horn, but Nashville and other cities need visionaries and they need visionaries that are willing to do things without making the maximum profit, making a decent profit. But, uh, but again, v- being visionaries and, and turning neighborhoods around and helping people, um, own the American dream. Well, well there it is. is. Yeah. We are very lucky, uh, to have Bruce here with all that is Nashville. I hope people download this and, and listen to it and, and understand that, uh, you know, the guy makes sense and, uh, we're very thankful and thank you for uh, explaining some very complex issues uh, where a couple of guys, you know, I got a 900 on the SAT. Okay, so I'm not, <laughs> not, not, not real bright. Not, you you not and I could have added our, our, our scores together, yeah. and one of us could have gotten to college. That, that would have wow. been it. I tell people I had a 398 my first year at Butler. Uh, that was 198 and a 2.0. Yeah. So I was, I had, brother, I was right, I was right, right there, there with you. Well, well, you, you things worked up, and, and you, you turned out well. Bruce, we really appreciate Bruce McNeilich on the second cup of Joe and... John! It's the second cup of Joe and John as their guests expound on any and all topics within the realm of decency. Want to be a sponsor? Let a TV and radio guy help build your business. Email the show, John at gmail.com. Now, hold on tight and grab another second cup of Joe and John. <laughs>